y'all it is time for another episode of small doses and i'm not sure when this episode is going to air but i just have to tell y'all i'm done with my tour ah the black outside to get tour oh my god y'all i made it through i made it through i made it through i'm gonna do a whole episode about it so we'll we'll get to that but today uh we have the honor to have an expert in the building on a subject that i don't know shit about now usually we have somebody here, and I can, like, chime in, like, a little bit, you know, and get my little two cents, et cetera. Not today, y'all. Not today. I'm taking a back seat because today is all about trusts. Not trust. I could talk all day about trust. But today is about the importance and information behind what it means to have an actual, like, a trust. And I am going to, exp- I'm going to hand it over to our... Attorney at law, Ms. Portia M. Wood Esquire, to really break down to us why someone shouldn't just be considered a trust fund baby. That should not be our only context for the importance of having a trust that holds your assets. And I think a lot of us have only heard of the word trust in that context and oftentimes think of it as something that's like only for which white people and that doesn't really <laughs> have value outside of that. Portia, dispel our. Our, our misled thoughts today. Oh, Amanda, thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm so excited to be here with you and to share some of my knowledge. This show, Small Doses, is amazing and provides so much value for the community. So thank, thank you. you for having me. Um, I'm Portia Wood. I'm an estate planning attorney. I deal in intergenerational wealth. And my mother and I are partners in this firm. And our focus is really educating African-American families about the importance of these issues. Why do we need a trust? A trust means that somebody planned for you. It does not Mm -hmm. mean that I've got millions and billions of dollars or what the media tends to portray, which is these trust fund babies that drive these cars and live in these mansions and act like spoiled brats. And we immediately go, no, that's not for us, right? A trust means somebody prepared a plan for everything they're working for. So if you have that one house, it needs a plan for how it gets to your children or your grandchildren or your great-grandchildren. Right. If it doesn't, there's a state plan for you. And if you look at history, the state's plan ends up costing us tons of money. In fact, everything that we work for can be lost in the state's plan. When you say us, who are you referring to? Everyone who doesn't have their own plan, but more okay. specifically, the African-American community. In fact, 70% of us don't have any plan at all for what happens to the assets that we are working for every single day, right? We get up, we go to work, we're paying the light bill, you know, we got insurance on our cars, we've got all these things, but we don't have a plan for what happens to any of that stuff right? if something, if and when something happens to us, right? Which is an inevitable. None of us are getting out of this life alive mm-hmm. unless someone's got, you know, found the fountain <laughs> of youth, please share with me. I will, I right. will take that information. Um, but when we think about an estate plan, Your estate plan is the foundation of everything. It's the foundation for your family's security. It's the foundation for the protection of your assets. It is your foundation. And it makes up really three core things as a basic. One is going to be your property power of attorney. It's going to be the legal document 
that actually appoint someone to be able to make financial and personal right. decisions for you, right? Okay. If you can't for yourself, right? Yeah. Car accident, stroke, heart attack, COVID-19, uh, dementia, which is on the rise in our community, right? Stroke, heart disease, all of these things that are impacting our community. What happens if that happens to you? Who makes your financial decisions? Who gets access to your bank account? If you don't say through your power of attorney, then the only option is for a court to decide who gets access, which is a guardianship or conservatorship proceeding. So that's number one. Number two is going to be your healthcare directives. Who makes medical decisions? Again, you have to decide. And if you don't, then the court has to decide. Okay. If the court has to decide, it's an incredibly expensive process. They've got to go through your family and make a decision as to who they think is going to be best without any knowledge of your Who family. do they even base that on? Like, how do they determine that someone is, so, is supposedly the best person? They look, at, they look at a hierarchy. So, right, if you have a spouse, they may pick the spouse, right, if that makes sense. Okay. If you have parents, they may pick the parents, if that makes sense. If you have adult children, then maybe the children. And they might look in order or who, who makes the most sense. You have to have a hearing to figure out who makes the most sense, which means you have attorney fees, you have court fees, you have personal representative fees, you have conservator fees that come in. And those Mm. conservators have to come back every single year and explain to the court what they've spent your money on so that the court can make sure they haven't thrown you in a corner somewhere and run off with all your stuff. This is the Britney Spears of it all. Right. This is the Britney Spears of it all. When we look at it and it's like she had this very public breakdown and- the court appointed her father who gave and gave her him incredible control over her, right? The contract she could enter into, whether or not she could get married, whether or not she could have any more children. I mean, there was this whole movement of free Britney, right? Right. She's a celebrity. She's got lots of money. And she had an entire movement to try to get her out of this court appointed conservatorship. The average person isn't going to have that kind right. of response. Right? Yeah. You know, yeah. grandma down the street is not going to be able to fight that the same way. So she needs to be diligent about who's going to make those decisions yeah. when that point comes. Okay. Those first two things that we just mentioned have absolutely nothing to do with how much money someone has. Nothing. Can you recap the first two things again? Sure. It's a property power of attorney and your mm-hmm. medical directives. Okay. Those two things, nothing to do with how much money you have. It has everything to do with the fact that you are an adult in our society. If you're over the age of 18, there is no automatic fiduciary for you. You okay. either pick someone yeah. or the court has to pick someone. Even if you are married, even if you have parents, even if you have adult children, which is a common misconception. I was going to say, I really think that is something that people just assume, oh, I'm married. Yep. So my spouse is who, you know, because when you go to the hospital, they always talk about next of kin, next of kin, next of kin. So you right. just think that that extends beyond to all the above. Nope, it does not. And think about it like this, right? If my spouse automatically got access to bank accounts that I didn't give him access to while I had the ability... What's to stop him from knocking me over the head in my, in my sleep to get access to my bank account? Right, right, right. He would encourage bad behavior, right? If I didn't do it when I could, why should he automatically get that just because I'm incapacitated? It wouldn't make sense, right? So when we think about those first two things, they're really about what happens to you, not after you're gone, but while you're still here and maybe aren't in a position to take care of yourself, right? That's the first part of estate planning. The okay. second piece, which is, you know, the distribution plan. This is the one most people have at least heard about, right? It's where your will or your trust or 
combination of estate planning documents come into play, it does depend on your assets, right? How many assets you have, what kinds of assets you have. It also depends on your family structure and it will depend on your goals because you may say, hey, Portia, I don't have any kids. I just have this house. I want it to go to my nieces and nephews. Fine, right? Mm -hmm. Then how does it get there? We need to avoid probate. So it's going to need to have some form of a trust. Probate is what? Probate court is the distribution of your assets through the state process. Okay. So it is the, the process of formally retitling your assets from your name to the name of your beneficiaries, right? And that is done through a judge if you haven't done it during life. In that probate process, so back up for a second, but in that probate process, they will also determine any creditors of yours. So <laughs> who might be owed money from your yeah. estate, right? They will also determine who should be legal beneficiaries. So if you don't have any anything in place at all, which is 70% of African-Americans, you have nothing, then the state is going to do a beneficiary search. Anybody who could be a beneficiary under your estate. So if you have no children, then they're looking at, well, are their parents alive? If the parents aren't alive, then they're looking out, do they have siblings? No. Do the siblings have kids? Let's go up to the next generation until we find beneficiaries of this estate. So for someone like Prince who didn't have kids, um, did they, this is the process, right? Right. Right. So they had to do a beneficiary search. And I don't know if you remember in Prince's estate, but there were several paternity claims that came out of that where people said, oh, you know, my mom had a dalliance with Prince back in this time. And she said he was my dad. And they had to do DNA testing to determine whether or not that was a biological child. I did not know that. If they were biological children, they would have been entitled to the entire estate. Wow. As the children, right? Okay. It didn't end up that way. Um, But we also saw through that probate process that the estate was undervalued, which continued a long process with the IRS, which only recently just got settled. We look at Aretha Franklin. We look at that estate and how there there was nothing. And she had a special needs son um, who was receiving government services and and a huge estate that then ended up in a crazy probate battle. Wills were coming out of couch cushions and all kinds of stuff. Girl, a Tyler Perry film. That's what that is. It's it's a whole film. It was a whole film. Uh, But then you even think about Chadwick Boseman and you look at his estate and the fact that there was a portion of his estate that was not transferred and had to go through probate court and was very public. I mean, all of us got to see the inner workings of, of these people's estates because there was no plan in place to protect them. Flip that with, say, Kobe Bryant's estate. Kobe Bryant's estate, we know very little about what was inside of his estate. Reason being, he had a comprehensive estate plan. The only reason we know anything about it is because Vanessa Bryant had to go to court and ask the judge to add their youngest daughter to their estate plan because they hadn't timely updated it. I mean, she was so young. They hadn't updated the plan at the time he had died to add their newest child. So she went through the probate court only to add the daughter. We know nothing about the assets of the estate. We know nothing about the distribution patterns or anything else because it was private, right? Right. So the probate court is a very public system in terms of identifying beneficiaries, identifying creditors, and then paying out those people first and giving your beneficiaries whatever is left over. In many instances, there's nothing left over, mm. right? Which becomes where this loss of economics in our community comes in. Mm. There was a study that was done recently that actually found that only 14% of college-educated African-Americans get $10,000 or more of the next generation. Only 14%. That number is actually up because in 2017, it was 13%. So we're moving in the right direction, right? Okay. But slowly, (laughs) very slowly. (laughs) Um, But 
what does that mean? $10,000 or more to the next generation. We got more than that. Just look at Instagram, yeah, right? Every, everybody's flexing on Instagram. So why is it that what we have isn't making it to the next generation? And it's this loss in the interim, right? It's this loss of not having a plan in place to avoid the court, which can be incredibly costly, and then not having a plan in place specifically for who our beneficiaries are. And this is where a trust can be incredibly valuable. about y'all but have you ever tried cbd and like people will tell you they rave about it like oh you need you need, you need to relax you need to get some cbd oh you got anxiety you need to get cbd you have trouble sleeping you need to get some cbd then you get the cbd and you're like this isn't really working or you're like me and you get cbd that has way too much thc because you didn't know that there was thc and you say it's not working and so you take the whole gummy and now you feel like you are melting into your mattress and it's a really 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 long night that defeats the purpose well if you're really about trying to use CBD for the, all the things that it can be used for, like alleviating stress, then you want CBD that you can feel working. And now there's Next Evo Naturals, all right? So most CBD that's found in like tinctures or gummies and capsules, it gets like about 2% or 10% absorption, which means that majority of what you thought you were getting is actually wasted. Well, with Next Evo Naturals, they are scientifically formulated to deliver more CBD in a way your body can actually use it and fast. It's actually proven 29 times better absorption in the first 30 minutes. You can fight stress with Nexevo Natural CBD Complex with ashwagandha. It's clinically proven to reduce stress by 70%. See, ashwagandha and CBD are a powerful combination, and they work together to target the source of rising stress hormones like cortisol. I really like the idea of this, and I actually was just reading that ashwagandha is also good for kidneys and for helping your kidneys function better, and that's something that as we're getting older, we got to be more mindful of. So I am definitely going to be making sure that I try the complex with ashwagandha. And you should be trying all this too because you can get to the root of your stress with the Stress CBD Complex from Next Evo Naturals for now up to 25% off the subscription orders of $40 or more. Just use promo code DOSES at nextevo.com. That's N-E-X-T-E-V-O.com, promo code DOSES. This episode is sponsored by LifeMD. LifeMD has undeniably created a better and more affordable way for people to speak to doctors without leaving their home. The days of depressing waiting rooms, awkward in-person visits, and confusion on who to call are over. You can now video chat with a board-certified physician and get the prescription you need in a little as 15 minutes. Visit LifeMD.com slash doses today and see why LifeMD is America's most trusted leader in healthcare. So this healthcare system is definitely not set up for folks to like find their providers and find health easily. And, you know, LifeMD is trying to make that bridge a little easier to cross. So finding the right doctor can be very frustrating. It can be hard to even know where to begin. But LifeMD's patient platform and app is going to make this so easy now because all you have to do is select your symptoms, pick your preferred doctor, and LifeMD does the rest. Also, it's enabling doctors to reach patients in their homes through revolutionary virtual healthcare. And I am somebody who believes that, yes, you still need to go in when you can, but sometimes it's not easy to do that. And if you're already incapacitated, then how is that going to work? So LifeMD is helping to bridge that gap. Everyone has that one thing they've been putting off to get getting checked out. You don't want to wait till you laid up. So with LifeMD, there's no excuse. You can talk to an incredible five-star certified physician in less time than it takes to fold your laundry. Visit lifemd.com slash doses now or download their app and see why LifeMD is America's trusted telehealth leader. That's lifemd.com slash doses to experience healthcare the way it should be.
we have to pay attention to what's happened in the black community. We've had the war on drugs, we've had redlining, we've had all of these issues that have come in throughout history, even into today, that impacts our ability to build wealth. So how do we plan around that? Well, when you think about the war on drugs, you think about the fact that many members of the inheriting community, right, as the baby boomers pass on, many members of the inheriting community have had some issues with the carceral system. And so they may have judgments, they may have restitution issues, they may have had back child support from having been incarcerated, which is then compounded over time because of the interest that adds on, which means if they inherit a third of a house from their parents directly into their estate, the state can attach to their interest and force a sale. And now you've lost this one house that could be Mm. an asset going forward, right? Okay. Um, Because of one person's issue. But you could also leave that same house in a trust for that person's benefit. We call it a spendthrift trust or an asset protection trust where they aren't directly receiving it, but they get the benefit of it. And now that judgment isn't able to attach, which keeps that asset intact. Best example I can give you, let's say grandma's house, right? Mm -hmm. Grandma's house, let's say L.A. Let's say she bought it at 10,000. It's now worth 800,000. Mm-hmm. That that's South LA right now, right? <laughs> right. Her children, she's got three kids. One of them has an issue. She leaves it outright. The one who has an issue, the state attaches to their interest, forces a sale or the other two to refinance the house. Perhaps they can't because they can't afford it. And so they end up um, they end up putting those assets, right? Getting it sold. They each get a third of what's left. And that's it. Can they go back and buy back into their community? No. Even with the third of what they have, how are they going to buy back? They couldn't qualify to refinance their house, right? right? Because the income hasn't increased. Maybe they don't have the credit, but they lost that asset. And so from that point, they can't go and and be in their neighborhood anymore. Now they've they've been gentrified out. Change the narrative. Put it inside of a trust. Now that asset isn't attached by their creditor because their creditor can only get access what they have access to. There's ah, a gatekeeper. Okay. Okay. There's a gatekeeper on that house. So okay. now what can we do with that house? All right. It's worth 800,000. She bought it for 10,000. You got $790,000 worth of equity in this house. Let's say we put a formula in. It can't be lived in by a family member. It's got to be used as a rental. Okay. Let's put another criteria in there and say it can't be sold. Okay. So now they can't sell the house and they can't live there. What do you do with it? You rent it. What's fair market rent on a three-bedroom, two-bathroom house in LA? Anywhere from five to ten thousand dollars, depending on where you live, or more, right? Right. So right, right. take a mortgage out. Let's say we take a mortgage out at thirty-five hundred dollars a month. How much money have you taken out of that house? Probably six, five, six hundred thousand dollars, depending on interest rates. So now they've taken five, six hundred dollars out of that house, five, six hundred thousand dollars out of that house, tax-free. They can divide up. He can maybe pay off his child support debts or keep his portion inside of his trust to be used for something else by his trustee. The other two can take their money and go buy something else, do something else with it because they have this other asset to leverage against. And guess who's paying that money off? The tenant. So it doesn't cost them anything. It's an asset. And guess what? In 15 years, they can do it again. And in 15 years after that, they could do it again. And if 15 years, you know, this is the the golden goose that keeps on giving for white one people house. know this rich white yes, people. This is, this is like <laughs> their regular practice, regular practice. Correct. 
it is a hundred percent exactly how wealth is built. It's why real yeah. estate has been one of the fastest wealth builders in the nation. Because once you get equity in that property, you can pull from that equity. When you pull from that equity, it is tax free. Whereas on a sale, it may be taxed. You may have capital gains tax. You may have other wow. taxes that come into play. And so you can pull from it. And as long as you keep it an asset, and this is where the protections inside of your estate plan really come into play. If you put the formula in place, then your beneficiaries have something to follow. If you just give three kids one house, the first thing they're going to do, and what studies have shown, the first thing they do is sell it. Yeah. Because they don't want to work with each other or they don't know yeah, how, they yeah, don't understand yeah. how. Or it's just fast money. It's just, yeah. It's fast money. We're, we're looking at what's in front of us. So the thing is, real estate's gone up over 24% in the last 12 months. Ooh, the last 24 so you months, just gave right? me an idea. But let's also be clear, right, Amanda? Inflation's gone up 9%, yes. right? So the, so the value of that cash that they just got in hand is worth less yeah. the day yes. they get it. Yes. Then what this house is worth over time, right. asset versus liability, right? And if you live there and you got to be responsible for paying for it, it's a liability. And this is what most people don't understand. They go, oh, it's the family home. We got to move in there. Take your emotions out of it and think of it as a business because okay. family over generations is a business, right? I build, you know, this house for me, we live here. It's comfortable. It's a liability. I got to pay for it every month. But when I pass on, I'm passing on what is an asset. I'm passing on the equity I've built in this house. I'm yep. passing on the opportunity. What my son can do is put a tenant in here, leverage from it, pay for college, start a business, buy more real estate. And he's already being instructed, right? You're going to buy a multiplex first. You will not buy a single family home, et cetera. <laughs> and then you can keep doing it. And if you do what's called a multi-generational trust-based plan, right, where it goes across generations, my trust passes to my son for his benefit which will pass to his children for his benefit with my same restrictions. So this property that I'm in right now won't be sold for about a hundred years beyond my death because of my restrictions and the incentives that I've put inside or the formula that I've put inside have say how he can take money out of this house over those periods of time so that it can always be used as an asset to generate more assets. So the distribution plan, again, it based, it's based on your family structure. Who's in your family? Do you, are you in a blended family? Are you a grandparent raising grandchildren? Do you have stepchildren? Um, do you have no children at all, right? Are you married? Are you a caregiver for parents or other family members? Do you have special needs beneficiaries? Are your children minors or adults? All of those things are going to change the dynamics of what your plan looks like. Then what are the assets? And then what are your goals? What are you trying to achieve? Because intergenerational wealth, it's a hot button topic. But what most people don't realize is it starts with one person's concerted effort to protect what you have so that it can grow. And that doesn't mean that you've got millions to pass on. It means that you have more than $10,000 that you need to protect so that it can be leveraged and grow over time. Well, you know, that's the... My cat is like, <laughs> you're home. I mean, I think that is the biggest part that stops people from engaging in what you're in, in what you're talking about like to even learn it it's this right. idea that well if I don't own a house or I don't have millions then this conversation doesn't include me right and it really is not about that and I think there's mm -hmm. something to be said for just the idea that maybe if we 
even learn more about this, then it lets us even have more of an incentive around how we make decisions with our money. Like literally as you're talking, I'm thinking differently about like what I will eventually do with my mom's house. Because the, the right. I, you know, the thought process naturally is like, oh, well, we're going to sell it. And then she'll move away and that'll be that. And then it's like, yeah, but I ain't really trying to have a rental. Like I ain't really trying to do all of that. Da, 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 da. But I think when we talk about the ways in which there's practical methodology behind it, it doesn't mm-hmm. feel so willy-nilly. Because that's how I'll be feeling for me. Portia, I'll be feeling like, oh, child, that's too much. That's too much. And then I think people start to think, well, if I don't have the ability to afford a lawyer, how do I navigate these waters? And so I'd love to talk about just that. Like, what are people's options in getting educated on this and getting help to step into this space? Yeah, no, those are great questions, right? So one of the things that we've done, my mom and I, is create free educational opportunities for people. So on our website... Y'all heard that? Free? You heard the word free? You heard it? Okay. <laughs> just making sure they heard it, Portia. Just making sure they heard it. Just making sure they heard it. But but seriously, on, you know, on woodlegalgroup.com, there, we have a resource library. And, you know, you just go to the drop down menu and it's there. There's so many different resources to help people start to understand the conversation. And then we also do, you know, full on webinars. I've got a masterclass on building and protecting generational wealth, particularly for the black community, where we talk about more of these systemic issues that we need to be protecting against. You know, the fact that only 42% of African-American families own their home today and that it's becoming increasingly more difficult to get access into home ownership means that we need to be taking whatever means necessary to protect those assets that we already own. The fact that Wall Street firms are announcing that they're going to spend billions of dollars buying up single family homes means it's only going to get more difficult for us to get access to the market. So if you have a home that would be able to be leveraged for the benefit of other family members, you got to hold on to that with everything you've got. And so understanding the value of what you already have is an incredibly important piece as well. And I think that's a mindset shift that comes with education. So we created these free resources so that people could start that change in their mindsets and truly understand what they have so that they can start to protect it. Fascinating. I mean, one of the things that really blew my mind was when you were telling me just the reality of of the cultural background to trusts, right? I think a lot of us have, like we said in the beginning, we've only really associated trust with this idea of the trust fund baby and this idea of folks who have already been a part of legacy money and legacy wealth. And so they don't even have to work. You know, they're able to just fly by night and do whatever they want. And when you and I were speaking about this offline, I had said to you like, oh, you know, black people haven't had access to trust. And you were like, that's actually incorrect. So can you just give us some more context about like where trusts have actually lived within us, within the black space culturally, and and again, how we got away from that? Yeah, I mean, estate planning in and of itself, right, um, was not necessarily something that was taught to us. We have to remember that in a historical context, in this country at least, our ancestors were the wealth. They were the property of other people's estate plans. It, you know, the enslaved population was passed down through people's estate plans. Right. Um, and it, just because, you know, we had emancipation and we got free, right, does not mean that we also got the education on how to preserve and protect our assets. There was a period in time where people were doing more and more 
of this estate planning. You started to see more wills coming into play. Um, you know, there was a lot of word of mouth between people um, to, to try to share these resources and educational information. And so we saw some of that preservation. But then you come and you look at Black Wall Street and you look at the fact that it was essentially burned to the ground. You look at these other yes. Black towns that were thriving Black communities where the economics themselves were wiped out because they were drowned under lakes. A, a forgotten history that people, you know, don't know where they've come from. And I've, I've talked to several people from Tulsa who grew up there who did not know about what happened there. Right. On the 100th what? anniversary, they were like, I didn't learn about what happened in Tulsa. And I'm from there until I went away to college and I learned it in Texas. Wow. But I was from there. They didn't teach it in school. And one of the things that she also said was that growing up, she was taught sort of to dim her shine because to not draw unwanted attention from the people around her. So don't talk about what you have. Don't tell people, don't let them know what's going on. Keep that close to the chest. And that was a very real fear out of the response to yeah. what had happened. So that's that generational trauma that comes in around money. And we are in this space right now today where we have an opportunity to create a resurgence. We have platforms like yours, which shares information on a much broader scale than ever before, which allows us to then take advantage of these, of these resources. This is a game, right? Wealth is a game. The laws are a game. How all of this works, it's monopoly in real life, right? Mm. What we haven't done well is play the game because A, there's issues that are impacting that, but B, we didn't fully understand the rules. You can't win, right? Yeah. You don't know the rules. Yeah. If you buy all of the railroads and you're like, I got all the railroads and I'm getting my $200, but then you die and your kids lost half the railroads, so now it's only worth $100 because they lost it in court and yeah. somebody else came and bought up those pieces because you didn't have a plan. Right. Right. So when we think about trust and we think about estate plans, it, it's been used, right? I, I'm, I'm a direct beneficiary of an estate plan. 130 plus years ago, my great, great, great grandfather was an enslaved person in Montgomery County, Maryland. And he was the presumed biological child of his enslaver. When the enslaver died, he had no legitimate children. And so through his estate plan, the land, as well as my great, great, great grandfather and his wife and his children passed to, you know, his biological aunts. And mm. they subsequently let him buy his freedom, the freedom of his wife and his four children. And then the 660 acres of land that he tilled as an enslaved person, what he learned, right, through that estate what? plan process, he created his own estate plan. Now, was it perfect? No, <laughs> right, right? right, right, right. It wasn't right. perfect, but it was enough that it had a, a really important line and restriction inside of that plan that said, when this land passes, it's going to pass to my children equally. But if any of them want to sell it, they have to sell it to one of their other siblings. Oh, that wow. one restriction, right? That one restriction kept that land in our family until the seventies. Wow. Until it was subsequently donated to, um, to the state and it's a state park now. Okay. So, right. But, but for years it stayed in the family because of this one restriction that reduced the ability to sell the property. Now my great, great grandmother took that her portion that she sold to her brother and funded the Afro-American newspaper, which is the large longest continuously running black newspaper in the country at 130 years, just this last August. Wow. Um, 
And that stemmed from land that had a restriction yep. that then kept the land in the family and allowed for other ventures to come into play. Yeah. Those shares, that, that newspaper is still 100% family owned. There is a, a trust that controls the voting shares that have all been consolidated so that the family can continue as a voting block mm-hmm. inside of, of that paper. And it, and it has continued to today, right? Still going. So when we think about what we can do, wow. it's small tweaks that can have huge generational aspects and, and impacts. When we look at, say, the Rockefellers, right? They didn't mm-hmm. amass the greatest fortune that America's ever seen like the Vanderbilts did, but yet their family continues to perpetuate wealth through really comprehensive estate planning. And it's not as complicated as it seems, right? Right. They, they've got a provision in there where every time a new baby is born, the trust buys life insurance on that new baby, which oh. creates an economic vehicle that when that person dies, refunds a cash right. infusion back into that trust that keeps it going for generations. Woo. Whereas compare yeah. that to, wait, let me just stop there because that's something <laughs> anybody that- can do. Anybody can do that. Anybody, what, regardless of what you have, can create a trust vehicle, can get life insurance on yourself and fund that life insurance into your trust and put a provision that some of that money needs to go to funding a life insurance for the new people born in your family. It's easy. It will just keep perpetuating itself. That's one person's decision to make a concerted effort and it will be a self-perpetuating process as long as you have those wow. restrictions in there. That's one generational change of wealth. Right. Right. Counter that with the Vanderbilts, who amassed the largest fortune the United States has ever seen, ever, even to, in today's dollars, ever. And they've had the first few members of their family die impoverished. They did oh. not have comprehensive estate planning in that way. They did not set it up where there was a perpetual vehicle for that. So there was a lot of spending mm-hmm. and nothing to replenish the accounts. And so now there, there's nothing, right? For many of those people, there's nothing. What? And you're talking about one of the largest fortunes ever. And so when you make those comparisons, it's not about having everything. It's about having a plan that makes yeah. sense and having a goal that you're trying to achieve and then executing that plan. And anybody can do that. It's just a matter of making the decision that it's important. I honestly, I'm just, my like my mind is literally blown because I think the number one statement you said that has resonated with me the most is that we just don't know how to play the game. And mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of us that are also afraid to play the game for many mm-hmm. reasons. I know I can honestly tell y'all I'd be afraid to play the game because I'm like, I don't want to become, you know, I don't want to lose myself. You know, I don't want to be a part yeah. of the system. I don't want to be a part <laughs> of this capitalist um, machine. And, you know, when you talked about how your I think it was your great grandmother or one of your relatives. Great, bought, great. Yeah. Yeah, your, yeah. Your relative bought, you know, was sold the land and was able to start a, a newspaper though. Like that right there is playing the game to change the game. Right. And I think that's the part for a lot of my listeners. And I know for me, that makes me say, okay, this is how you flip it. I know for me, it's always about how do I flip it? How do I flip it? Because I, I am not somebody that thinks like, if I can't beat them, join them. Because it's like, no, mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not really trying to hang out with the people that I was just trying to beat. Um, right. But it's like, how do I, if I can't beat them at 
you know, how do I figure out ways for it to work for me that is not me having to operate the same way that they do that tried to beat me? <laughs> like, And I think that's the thing. There's like a moral part of this that I think stops a lot of people and it doesn't have to. I mean, even with politics, mm-hmm. right? I'd be trying to tell people like, you can sit here all day till you're blue in the face and talk about how these politicians be politicking and da ka 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 but it's not going to stop what they're doing and how it affects you. So at right. some point you have to be a part of understanding the rules to change the rules. So hundred percent, hundred percent. But see, here's the thing, the moral aspect, right? And some people say it's immoral to leave, leave a, a legacy or to leave money to your kids. Cause they, they'll lose that grit. They got to pull mm. themselves up from their bootstraps. Just like I had to, I have heard that from my baby boomer and elder clients yes. who say, you know, I had to work for this. They're not getting a handout from me. And when we sit down and look at the numbers and I say, hey, by not doing an estate plan here in California, you're going to lose X, right? A million dollar gross value estate in California. Statutorily, the personal representative fees and the attorney fees are about $46,000 off top. That's not court fees. That's not anything else. Right. right? That is That is. $46,000 in the Jersey attorney and personal representative. If nobody fights, there's no real estate, et cetera. It's based on the gross value of your estate, which means it doesn't matter how much debt you have. You might have a $900,000 mortgage. You only have $100,000 worth of equity and half of it just walked out, right? So when we think about how people end up losing so much, it's because there are these other fees built in. The yeah. cost of doing nothing is that you could lose everything. And I don't get up and go to work every day and work this hard to create something that's just going to disappear and be redistributed through a court process to everybody else but the people that I love so right. that they have to start over and compete with other people who did get an inheritance. How, how can they compete? How can you put a down payment on a house if you don't have any money? How do you compete? How do you, how do, you do it? Where does it come from? Some people are talking about, oh, can't you just borrow from a relative? No, for most African-American people, that's not even an option. No. So when we think about what is, how do we continue to play the game? How do we have a seat at the table? How do we demand things in politics? How do we demand change? You got to be there. You have to have a seat at the table. And if you don't have any economics, you don't have a seat at the table. Right? Madam C.J. Walker said the only thing that America respects is money. She said, you know, what the black community needs is a few more millionaires. I would say in that time, that's true. Index that for inflation. We need a few more billionaires to be able to keep competing. But it's not impossible. It may seem so far away, but that's only because we're not fully well versed in how these assets we have right now can be leveraged so that the next generation is on that playing field. It just doesn't seem like a lot in our minds. But that's because we've been taught through media and other things that it's not valuable enough or that you only need this. And for all those people who are listening, a will, when you own real estate, is insufficient because a will still needs to go through the court process and be certified by a judge. What a will does is a will says who you want it to go to, which is valuable, but it doesn't protect against all those other fees. And it still puts the court in charge of those assets means they could sell that house if there's debts that need to be paid and not enough cash. Mm. But a trust is a separate vehicle. It is private. You actually are changing the title to your home while you are alive. So from you personally to you, to you as trustee of your trust. 
which means you still control it. You still have full access to do all these things. And, but when you pass on, you've already picked who's legally able to transact on that house and on those, on, on that property. So wherever it's supposed to go next, you don't need a judge to do it. Now, I'm talking about a living revocable trust at this point, and, and the multi-generational trust is really our legacy trust, but there are lots of types of trusts. There are Medi-Cal or Medicaid planning trusts when people need to get qualified for care, mm-hmm. right? Those are needs-based plans. You have to have no money, right? You have to spend right. all your money to get qualified. And what most people don't realize when they don't make you sell the family home is that once that person dies, they're going to submit a bill to that estate and then you either refinance or they sell the family home. Mm-hmm. Most people don't know that that's what's coming. And, but there are plans that you can create in advance that can remove that asset from being countable and other assets from being countable in that person's estate where now you get state funding to help pay for them long term and you get to keep the assets for generations. So when you think about people who have tons of money who are getting state long-term care or state disability and they get to pass on their assets, it's because they created the vehicle in the middle. We don't know that that even exists. So we lose these properties. We lose these assets. We spend them down. We spend our own money. We take ourselves out of the workforce to care for people instead Mm -hmm. of playing the, the money game to really leverage what we have. (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I mean, there y'all have it. I um, I really wanted to do this episode because I myself am going through processes like this and am learning about this and am finding out just how little I know. Also finding out just how... Um, how fearful I really am around like Mm. learning about finance and stuff like that. And it ends up being counterintuitive when you said, you know, this idea that like you work so hard and then you feel like the next people shouldn't be able to float on your coattails, but then it also feels like, okay, so was that just, did you just work for nothing? Like, what was the point? You know, I think we talk about generational wealth all the time and we don't really think about the fact that it can grow and accrue, you know? And like my father, everyone knows like I'm not a fan, but you know, he had a house in like a gentrified part of Boston that was his mother's house that was passed down to him. He has five children and he sold his house. (gasps) And I'm just like, like, the fuck is wrong with you? Um, Even if I wasn't a part of it, you have... Four children with your wife that could have benefited from that. Two of them are about to have kids. Like, you know, this is the the thinking that I think a lot of folks just live in the now. And mm-hmm. I think it's a very selfish thought process. And I think we all need to really say, really see how this actually connects to when we talk about community, when we talk about, you know, how we want to challenge politics. Portia, you can unmute your mic. We want to hear you say, mm-hmm, and, uh-huh, oh, oh. and all that. Yeah. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right. I'm here, I'm here. But, but no, like, it's true. It's 100% true. You, you can't have community when we have this individualized mindset. Why do we have these kids? We want to provide them with, or, or, or anybody that we care about. We want to provide for them. We want to make sure that there's good schools. We want yeah. to make sure that we have politicians in place who, who really align with our values. You can't go out and work the polls if you've got to go to your second or third job to make the rent. You just can't. You can't be 
you know, one of the things that my mom used to have was this block on our kitchen table. And it was like, what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? And it was just the question prompt of the morning. What would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? What would you try? Right. You can't fail. So, so what would you do? Having a mm. comprehensive estate plan that is well set up can provide that opportunity for someone. What would you do if you knew you would never be homeless? What would you do if you knew there would be food in your fridge or that you would be able to afford medical care? You can set up your trust in such a way where it covers health, education, maintenance and security, right? Safety, housing, whatever. Your beneficiaries can't go out and buy a Maserati and go roll around right, and be like, I got the right. Maserati, I'm out here, I'm plus, and I'm taking all my <laughs> friends on a yacht. You can set it up so that those resources are available for those things. How innovative can the next generation be in terms of what they could create if mm. they don't have to worry about hunger? Right. If they don't have to worry about the basic necessities to be able to be innovative, how, what could they possibly be yeah. create? What our estate plan does is provides a foundation for them to then reach their highest potential, something that the previous generations haven't always been able to do because they're working from a scarcity model. They're not sure what's coming next. And in some people, they weren't even sure if someone's going to come burn down their house. Right. In these instances, they're not sure that they're, you know, they're going to be able to put food on the table. You know, we always talk about the parents and the grandparents who've made it stretch or who themselves went hungry so that their kids yeah. could have to try to change that mindset. So they worked all of that to get something, mm -hmm. not to lose it in court and have it benefit somebody else's family. Right. But it's got to be structured so that the next generation of people who we love and want to care for don't have that struggle. They have those basics covered. That is community. And it doesn't have to be just your kids. It can be institutions that you support that right. do good work, yep. right? It could be uh, a broader set of kids. Some people do scholarship funds with their estates. Some people give some to their kids and some other places, depending on how much they have. People do all kinds of things. The point is make it yours. Don't mm. default to the state and let them decide what every wh where everything you've worked for goes. It should not be up to the state to decide. It should be up to you. Right. And, and that's, the, that's the biggest piece because how do you control or benefit the society after you're gone? How do you create your legacy? It can be a legacy of mess or it can be a legacy that uplifts and builds uh, and lasts for, for generations. So, I mean, that's the opportunity that we're missing. And that's it, y'all. It can be a <laughs> legacy of mess or it can be a legacy that builds. That's the thought I want you to be left with. Portia, where can people uh, get access to the uh, education materials that you were mentioning? And also, uh, how can they get uh, connected more to the work that you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. So the educational resources as well as connecting to me is on our website, which is just woodlegalgroup.com. I also do free educational content on TikTok under the Black Trust Fund Kids and Clubhouse, where we do lots of these kinds of conversations around, around wealth building and estate planning. Uh, also Black Trust Fund Kids, where we are normalizing intergenerational wealth transfer in Black and Brown communities. There y'all have it. That was a large dose, a large <laughs> dose of information that we all can use and that we find valuable. Thank you so much, Portia, for taking your time today to share with us and to continue to uh, inform and really just uh, 
help us build our legacies as you build your own. So y'all heard her, Portia Wood, y'all, Esquire. And (laughs) I look forward to just, I want to hear from y'all. So make sure you hit me on Instagram. I want to hear from y'all what you learned from this episode and how you're going to implement it to be impactful in your own legacies. That's another episode of Small Doses. Thank you. Star Bands Audio, a podcast, <clears throat> a podcast network.